Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by Adequest, your cybersecurity compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. And this is a special episode because this is the first time we're actually going to make a video recording of the episode and put it up on our new, freshly launched YouTube channel called Secure Talk Podcast on YouTube. So um, today we're also welcoming Julien Vehant, who is a security engineering manager at Google. He's formerly worked for Mozilla on the Firefox operations team as the senior engineering manager on the Firefox operations security team. I think I got that right. He's also the author of Securing DevOps, and we're going to be talking a lot about that. Um, Julian's going to walk us through, explain to us what DevOps is and what does it mean to secure DevOps. Uh, he's going to talk about best practices for, guess what, securing DevOps. So let's get started. So hey, Julian, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Pretty good. I uh, Apologies. Uh, we had a windstorm the other day, and... Sometimes it demonstrates how fragile our um, our infrastructure can be when we get a, a you know a big blow comes in and no power for twelve hours you know <laughs> and then you realize well, you know, I, when you don't have power and you don't have Wi-Fi you don't have anything man <laughs> you know? I, I live in hurricane country so I'm I'm very familiar with that <laughs> oh so are you are you're in Florida yeah I am in Florida I'm in the the, the boonies of Florida close to Sarasota on a uh, on a nice little optical fiber that was laid out by a few passionate folks uh, 10 years ago who really wanted to get good internet out here. Uh, but it is one optical fiber. And, wow. <laughs> and when it goes down, it goes down for everybody. Well, that's uh, you know, then an excuse to go to the beach or whatever is nearby. Um, you're probably, exactly. in, in terms of the continental U.S., the farthest possible place from because I'm in Seattle. So we're in opposite and even kitty corner yep. from the parts of the country. So, hey, um, I want to I talk uh, to you about, you know, your book, Securing DevOps. Um, but I also want to warn you that I'm, I'm probably the least technical person on the whole West Coast of the U.S. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and I, I have a sense that some of our listeners and viewers, um, they, there's probably two groups. Uh, there's people who look at DevOps as from a more a higher level, probably a strategic or process view. And then there are people who are, you know, deep in the weeds uh, in terms of actually doing doing the work and, 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 and focused in very specific areas. So when we when we talk about um, your book and, 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 um, and some of the questions, maybe you can answer, um, if at all possible, on kind of two levels, kind of one sure. broader and then more focused. So um, first off, why did you decide to write a book? Oh, that's that's actually a terrible idea, and I and I tell you, I never do that <laughs> to get ever. rich. To get rich, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is no. The the funny thing is, it's it's absolutely a work of passion. It is a work of career development for me. It was one of the milestones I wanted to hit in my career at some point. And uh, when Manning reached out because they were looking for authors, it was at the right time. I was in the right place, uh, so I decided to do it. Um, but but most certainly, if if uh, you try to get into writing a book for the money, that's <laughs> a terrible way. Yeah, unless, it unless you're selling plan. them on, on a platform called Amazon, you are. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're it's, not, yeah, it's not worth it at all. So, but but it's I will say uh, for me the motivation to to do it was really because 
I've, I've always like writing article as a way to consolidate my own understanding of a topic, right? And if you can teach it to somebody else, you, you need to understand it well. And I saw writing a book as exactly this, a way for me to consolidate a body of knowledge and put it down on paper and be able to refer to it later on. It was, it was very much a way for me to grow. Um, and it ended up being uh, probably one of the most difficult things I've done in my life. Uh, it, two years of pretty much every weekend, um, you know, writing, not only writing, but also uh, building the content of the book, right? Building right. the software, building the infrastructure, testing things out, deciding what works, what doesn't, the, and, and then sending a chapter for initial review and getting it back with a bunch of red everywhere. <laughs> and, and maybe between five and 10 revisions for each chapter. So it took a long time. It was a lot of work, but I'm, I'm, I'm very glad I did it. Um, and don't recommend it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. And I, and I, by the way, I totally agree with you that um, writing something, anything, even if it's not a, a complete book, but writing things down is a great way to consolidate and kind of crystallize your knowledge. And then, you know, I, I actually have uh, written a book on sales. I, I, most of my career, professional career was in business development sales, and I did a lot of training. Um, and I thought I knew a lot, but then when I started to write this book, I realized that the gaps, maybe not necessarily in my knowledge, but in my thought processes and so on and so forth. So it's, it's a very helpful exercise. Mm -hmm. So your book, Securing DevOps, why, why is that important? Why is that relevant? securing right. DevOps? Well, so the the way I came at this was really uh, through traditional information security. And um, we, we were at a time where uh, in my career, we were still relying on a lot of concepts that were, have been developed in the late 90s and early 2000s. And DevOps was a transformation of uh, the entire engineering stack for web services and, and software organizations. And information security uh, was not in a, in, a, in a place where it could integrate easily into DevOps um, processes and techniques. And so for me, it was important to uh, discover and teach uh, better ways to integrate information security with DevOps uh, techniques and processes. And that's, what, that's how I came at this. And I, what I found uh, is that I was uh, at the time at Mozilla in an organization that was already ahead of the curve and that was already adopting uh, the the most really advanced DevOps technique to to deploy uh, its cloud services. Uh, we're talking about a small organization that with less than a dozen people uh, continues today to provide uh, services to hundreds of millions of users. Amazing. And it takes a lot, a lot of creativity in how you're going to engineer and maintain those services. And so the, the role of a security engineer is to make sure that those services remain secure, that the data that users entrust us with remain secure. And uh, we need to do it at a cost that's reasonable to the organization as well. And those traditional information security processes and tools and techniques were, were just too expensive and not adapted to uh, these modern uh, environments of, of DevOps. And so for me, it was really uh, an exercise in, in exploring better ways to, to secure 
these modern services. And um, and I, I didn't obviously do it alone. There was a, a, a large community, there still is a large community essentially like pushing the boundaries and, and figuring out better ways to do security in a DevOps world. And what I tried to do is to crystallize essentially that body of knowledge into a book. And it's very much point in time. In fact, it has evolved since I wrote the book. Uh, and the second edition is probably uh, <laughs> around the corner. There, I thought, there goes there goes your weekends in the rest of 2021. I guess, huh? Yeah, <laughs> gonna have to convince my wife. <laughs> yeah. So though, I, actually, that's that, that was going to be my follow up question. Is I mean, many of the tools that um, that are being used right now to secure DevOps weren't available before, or the DevOps process wasn't in alignment with um, with using them. Now you have these tools, um, and you want to take advantage of them, but the process isn't stopped. I mean, we're, we're continuing to evolve. Is that what you're saying? Right. Absolutely. And Absolutely. And a lot of these processes um, will continue to remain true and, and evolve. The, the tools that support them will go away, will get reinvented, right? right? So three years, five years from now, the tools themselves are not the important part of this. The, it's the, the process and the, the process are... Or the principle, maybe. The principles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's let's kind of walk through some of the chapters or the sections of your book. And 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 by the way, if uh, if you've got a, a, another direction you'd like to take this conversation, please please feel free. Um, no. But you know, you start off and you talk about um, uh, building the DevOps pipeline um, and then building the security layer with with uh, with applications. Why don't you talk a little bit about those first two kind of um, steps? Sure. So the, I think what's very important to define here is that in order to keep a, let's say, a web service, a cloud service secure, then an organization needs to be able to improve it continuously, right? And, and that's where we start talking about continuous integration and continuous development. We have a lot of data points that prove that uh, the more uh, frequently uh, software gets updated and improved, the more secure it is, right? And so that's really the core of DevOps, is being able to make small changes and, and deploy those changes to production almost every day or every few days or every week, right? So it's more secure because you're not launching, you know, six months worth of development and there's could be some bugs or some... there Or, or, or is it also uh, more secure because you're able to... Um, modify according to any kind of known vulnerabilities, or is it is it both? It, both of these things, actually. Mm -hmm. um, we we know that um, releasing in uh, you know large amount of code uh, twice a year means that uh, it is almost impossible to properly audit those changes. It's just too much going out at right. once. Um, so they most likely will contain vulnerabilities that have been undiscovered. But also the the idea of being responsive is very important. So uh, vulnerability is discovered and within a few hours, uh, we'll be able to deploy a new version of the of the system in production that has a fix for that vulnerability. Without the tools of DevOps, uh, it may take weeks for that new version to be able to come out. So that's the first aspect, but we're not even talking about security here. We're really talking about software engineering agility. Um, the part where security comes into play is that as we are releasing new version of the software, we, new version of the services, we need to ensure that uh, these new versions continue to pass a security baseline, right? That they continue to get deployed to secure infrastructure. And so uh, the, the, really the first part of the book is not only 
defining what continuous integration and continuous deployments are, but also how a security team can integrate into those processes. And so we're talking about things like every time a new version of a service is released, it gets tested automatically. There will be security tests that assert that the new version passes all of the security criteria needed to go to production, mm -hmm. right? And same thing at the infrastructure level. In the past, we used to run applications on servers managed by hand, but now we're talking cloud, we're talking Amazon, GCP. The way we manage this infrastructure is entirely programmatic. And so we can also run security tests programmatically. And we can run these tests every time a new version of the software is pushed out. So this tight integration means once we have the deployment pipeline set up and we have the security test and the deployment logic, then a, an engineer can just click a button and this entire chain of operations will go out uh, and execute every single one of those tests. And if, if all the tests turn out okay and green, then the new version goes in production uh, automatically. And it's really dominoes. But the question that we had um, uh, five, 10 years ago was, where do we put the security dominoes? Because mm -hmm. the security dominoes in the past were not, were too heavy, right? So they would block those processes. You would require a lot of organizations and actually still require manual security reviews. Uh, of every change that goes out, which means when uh, a team of engineers is ready to go out and push a change, then they will have to wait for a security engineer to be available that may take a week, two weeks, three weeks to review their change before it can go out. So no automation. <laughs> no automation, slowing down those processes, et cetera. So what we're really trying to reinvent here is how can we take those tests, those security audits, and, and move them into automated processes so they can run faster? Right. So they can accelerate the, 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 the speed, the, the, the velocity of the delivery pipeline. So, I mean, again, because, you know, this is secure talk. So, I mean, our focus primarily is security. Um, what advice or what guidance would you give in terms of, you know, those uh, what security tests or automated tests? How do you know if you have enough, not enough? Um, it, does it depend on the type of app you're using? I mean, how do you kind of sort that out? Yeah, um, I, I think the, the, the most important question is uh, not necessarily how many tests you have, but are they relevant? Are they good quality tests? Um, we've experimented for a long time with uh, automated scanning tools, but automated scanning tools, they, they, they are designed to kind of gather everything that could potentially be a concern, and those tests are not deterministic. So you try to run them in an automated delivery pipeline, and they will spew out a lot of false positives that uh, are frustrating to deal with. So they're not good tests right, for something that's supposed to run in a deterministic way multiple times a day. What is better is to uh, pick, for example, an array of improvements. Say, um, we're running in AWS and we say uh, the firewalls in front of the service, the security groups in front of the service will only have the port 443 for HTTPS open. Mm -hmm. We can write a small script that verifies that before going to production, we check all of the security groups and we make sure that they only have port 443 open. And if they have any other port open, then we stop the test and we stop the delivery process. That's a good test because it's deterministic. It runs fast. Right. It's easy for 
a non-security engineer to understand the output of the test, right? right? And so they can even fix it themselves without involving the security team. And what I advocate in the book is to start with a small number of tests for things that are almost common sense, right? And to work with the engineers themselves to decide, okay, should we, what else should we do next? What else, what other tests should we promote? Now there are tools that will cover the baseline. There are benchmarks uh, that will, for example, CIS has a as a as a benchmark for AWS, and they are good. We can start from that point and just take that corpus of tests and say we want all of those tests to pass always. Yes. It's a good it's a good way to get started without uh, too much effort. But very quickly, uh, I think the most important part is to uh, to define a security baseline for the organization, write the test for that, and really be very picky about what goes into those automated tests. Okay, that totally makes sense. Um, when you, you mentioned like anomaly detection, um, and I'm, I'm assuming that this is after code has gone into, uh, into production. Um, and, 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 and so the, how is that tied back into the DevOps process? Right. Um, this is a little bit on the on the edge of what DevOps really talks about here, okay. um, because DevOps is really about the idea of engineering agility, of being able to iterate quickly on software and being able to release early, release often, all of these things. Um, but anomaly detection is is more uh, on the side of long running software, how you manage like in an SDLC model, software development lifecycle, how you would manage your uh, your applications once they're in production, you know, one year, two years, three years, five years down the road, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the goal of anomaly detection and fraud detection in general is really to have visibility into how services and applications can get attacked okay. and be able to get ready to respond to those attacks. Now, what an attack is, is, is very much depends on the organization, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've seen extreme cases. We, we like to make fun of them in, in the InfoSec community of, you know, every single port scan is an attack. Mm. Probably not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, but generally speaking, what we're talking about is um, if someone is trying to abuse a service or an application for their own benefit, either to steal user data or to make or to misuse the service itself for uh, to make money or et cetera, um, or things like that happen very often in the cloud, uh, stealing cloud resources that the organization would have to pay for right. to mine Bitcoin, for example, right? And so um, what a security team needs to do, and, and by the way, this is level two of maturity, right? Level yeah. one is really secure the basic infrastructure, the basic application. Level two is start thinking about fraud detection and incident response and all that stuff. Um, and it, what a security team needs to do is to figure out where the relevant logs are, uh, where the relevant signals are, the relevant monitoring to detect a change of behavior that may indicate an attack, right? And start collecting those logs very simply at first, not necessarily like, I mean, you can go buy products that will happily take your money, <laughs> give you the functionality you want. I won't name any vendors here, but they're pretty they're pretty easy to find. Um, but before even getting to that point, what I usually advocate for small organizations is just, just get your logs in one place. Just get your monitoring in one place 
and and go through it almost by hand to uh, to define what a baseline of behavior is, so that you can then you know kind of map that baseline to what you're seeing in real time and and detect that something's wrong. And once something is wrong, uh, that's incident response. That's getting the engineers, uh, the SREs, the, the the operations people, the system people together to go dig into that issue and, and first identify if it really is an issue. And if it really is an issue, respond to it and mitigate, right? And come back to normal. So where do you draw the line between anomaly detection, um, you know, analyzing logs, detecting intrusions, um, and then the response in terms of what falls under DevOps versus non-DevOps? I honestly don't think we have a good delineation here. I think um, what we've called DevSecOps historically has focused a lot on like automated testing in okay. continuous integration, continuous development. And, and in more recent years in risk management and threat modeling, um, but not too much on security detection, security surveillance and incident response. Um, where I think there is uh, a lot of synergy and, 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 and really where DevOps can make incident response uh, much better is in making sure the incident response teams know how to leverage the DevOps techniques to respond. An example of this would be um, when you have a, a, an incident response team that is well-versed in the tools and techniques of the cloud, uh, they know how to redeploy a system from scratch without impacting production because we have immutable system, we have blue-green deployments, we have all that stuff. They know how to take snapshots of live systems in the cloud. They know how to dump memory in the cloud. They know how to um, potentially redeploy an old version of the service using, again, these automated deployment sure. pipelines. So it's, it's really more a matter of taking these teams that have historically been very resistant to like the cloud and DevOps and teaching them these tools and techniques so they can make use of them in their day-to-day, -day, right? Um, I don't think there's necessarily a whole lot for like a DevOps team to absorb from the incident response world, right? It's it's more the other way around. No, but it, it totally makes sense. So you're basically saying, and I, I would, I guess, as part of the dev work of that DevOps, um, making it easy to access the appropriate logs, uh, building a system that is, is more intrusion detection friendly, I guess that's part of the, the, the process that you'd want to think about as well. Um, you do mention in, in your book a, um, a, a case study called the, the Caribbean Breach. Um, sounds intriguing, and I haven't heard of this one. <laughs> Could, what, how is that uh, relevant to this discussion? Um, well, writing a book on, on, on security is, is, is difficult to make it entertaining, right? And, and all of these notions and, uh, are, are very dry, right? So I, I did want to have a chapter that was more fun. Okay. Right? So this is a fun chapter. But also, um, for newcomers to the world of information security, it's kind of hard to, 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 to get an idea of what responding to a major compromise is like. Mm -hmm. And for better or worse, I, I've, I've done this many times. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I wanted to kind of write a, a, a short story of what um, 
responding to an incident looks like on okay. a cloud service. And this this uh, chapter, this Caribbean breach story is inspired by uh, real events, but uh, I actually wondered if some of the uh, protagonists in that story would recognize themselves. And I think <laughs> one of them has, uh, but I've been pretty good at kind of uh, scrambling things so that they don't uh, necessarily recognize themselves. But um, the main point was really for folks who are managing, uh, you know, cloud organizations uh, that do know because they've heard it many times that at some point they will get breached. Yep. They will have to respond to an incident. What can they expect? How is it going to go? Um, and I was trying to to kind of, you know, give them an idea of of what to expect in that situation. Um, I will say this um, for people who are reading the book because they are responsible for uh, a security portion of the organization, but they don't have a whole lot of resources. If at some point they're faced with having to deal with a major compromise like this, um, find someone experienced to help you as soon as possible. Uh, whether it's a consulting company or someone you know who's been doing this for a while that you can uh, onboard quickly because these situations are chaotic and uh, stressful and uh, people tend to get anxious very quickly. And having a third party who's level-headed, who's done this before, who can help bring the organization back to recovery is often very, very important. 100% agree. Um, I mean, we we recommend that companies have a playbook that um, in case of breach, you know, he, here's responsible, who, who's responsible for what, you know, th simple things like communications, if communications are necessary, could be communications to the public, communications to the board, communications to the regulators, right? I mean, but you have to have a plan in place. And if you're running around trying to figure out how to get the systems turned back on and do all this at once, it's, uh, it's a recipe for... Uh, a lot of issues, and when you bring in um, an outside expert, in, in some regulate uh, regulatory bodies, we've been told um, will kind of uh, look more kindly on your response. Versus, I mean, there was the, the, the I, I don't I, Cathay Pacific in Hong Kong. They 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 had I think it was a couple hundred thousand of their customers' uh, information was um, was stolen, and they didn't inform the customers or the regulators for almost a year. Um, and now you're talking about criminal liability and all kinds of things, right? You know, so if yes. you're not sure what to do, it's not going to get better by just hiding under a rock or something like that. Get, get somebody involved. Very much agree. Um, how do you, you mentioned assessing risk. And that's, that's, that's an interesting conversation too. That's because how do you wait? And, 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 you know, you can make something very, very secure, but do you really need it to be secure? Um, so how do you, what kind of framework do you use to assess risk? Yes, um, that is a very complex question, and I hope you're 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 ready to listen to me for the next three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the the okay. There's the short answer is thank you. There isn't for the short one answer. perfect framework. <laughs> right. The short is there isn't one perfect framework. Okay. Um, the 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 somewhat longer answer is um, it is more about having a conversation with the various uh, parties that are relevant to 
building in and running a service than it is about enforcing a, a specific framework. And um, we get a little bit into threat modeling here. And what I think works well is for security teams to establish uh, a communication channel with engineering teams as early as possible in the design phase of a new project or product. And uh, what we like to do, like to do at, um, at Mozilla is using a, um, a framework called rapid risk assessment that basically um, it's, it's a very small 30 minute to one hour conversation um, where we can ask the engineers uh, about what they're building and why they're building it. Ask about the data dictionary, what pieces of information will they be collecting or manipulating? And then try to work through work through a, a few uh, standard scenario attack scenarios um, around confidentiality, integrity, availability. So the standard CIA triad. Uh, the goal here is uh, not to apply a strict risk assessment framework to the new project or the new functionality, but it is more to think through various failure scenarios with the engineering team. And in fact, one of the most powerful way to do that is to simply ask the engineers, how would you attack this, right? right? Because they know, right. they've thought about it. It's like, well, actually, now that you mention it, we do have this um, data sharing mechanism to a secondary database over there, and we don't control the authentication on that side. And, and they will start thinking through the various ways uh, their design can be attacked. The goal then is to capture that and to propose mitigations, to propose better protection, um, but also to um, set somewhat of a risk level on this on this project or this functionality. Um, not everything, like you said, not everything needs to be secure, right? And that is a very important thing for organizations to understand. Organizations generally are very, very good at uh, understanding and making decisions around risk business risk, right? Uh, if an organization is going to open a subsidiary in, I don't know, China, for example, and they are out of Kentucky and they've never worked in China before, they know that's a business risk, right? Okay. Security risk works exactly the same way. Um, there is some amount of risk that an organization is willing to take. Uh, and being able to uh, put that into words for, um, for executives to review and understand is all very often all that's needed, right? And they will be able to then say to the engineering teams that is too much risk or we're okay taking uh, that amount of risk. And then that drives a conversation on mitigation, on, on spending more time, on building security controls, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's really at a high level how um, I like to approach the, the conversation around risk assessment and threat modeling. No, it, it's interesting because at the beginning you didn't mention the business side. You talked about uh, you know your development team and your security engineers, um, kind of working it out. But I was going to actually ask you, like, at what point do you check in with the business team? From your position, if if, if somebody's in your position and they're running um, a team, and they do want to touch base with the business, who who in the business do you think needs to be looped into that conversation? Do you need to have you know a CISO or a DPO in there, or is it somebody? Is it is it the CEO or the chief revenue officer? Because I mean, everybody's going to have they're going to be looking at the same thing from a quite a little bit different perspective. And in 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 my experience, if if you carry the title 
uh, as CISO or DPO, you're probably going to be, just by the nature of your job, err on the side of being a bit more conservative or protective. I mean, it's just the nature of your job. And that's a, a broad stereotype, but but it's it's probably rare. If you are the chief revenue officer and you, are, you, know, you just want to push out there and, and just, you know, increase market share, typically, right? So how do you kind of balance even that conversation? It, my experience, uh, it is better to start with uh, product folks. Okay. And uh, they are usually part of the engineering conversations, at least in the design phases. Um, and um, product folks usually have a good understanding of what the executives are willing to accept and what the business opportunity is and uh, what the resources allocated to the projects are. So they 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 have the um, all of the information needed to 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 kind of get started. Um, what is useful? So that's kind of like for like per project review, right? So I like to have uh, when I when I do a, a threat model, I like to have usually is a lead engineer, but also the the product manager if there is one, right? Or um, someone who's kind of in that function. But every organization needs a risk scale, right? Uh, because uh, a, a million dollar loss at company A doesn't mean the same thing than a million dollar loss at company B. Sure. Right. Um, I work for Google. The risk scale is very, very, very different yeah. than anywhere else. Right. And um, before we can really talk about assigning risks or, or even for security team to say this matter or this doesn't matter, then um, we need an understanding of what a significant loss is. Right. Uh, of what uh, jeopardizing a strong business opportunity really is, right? Are there particular um, priorities that always need to be addressed? Uh, for example, maybe data security is a huge part of the brand, right? Uh, and so suffering a data breach would be a major reputation issue, right? For the organization, maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's availability, right? right. So what I recommend is uh, as as new uh, security teams get formed in organization is, is try to have a conversation with the executives if you can the the CEO and and the c-suite in general to get a sense of where you know how that scale kind of is like where, where it is right sure. and what they have in the back of their mind and then use that to, um, to, to, to to essentially set the risk levels in the day-to-day -day assessments okay that sounds like some good advice to me. Um, we, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but let me ask you this. Um, you, you do spend some time talking about testing for security um, and also continuous security. Um, give us some of your thoughts on those topics. So the idea behind continuous security is that um, the security team over time disappears that it is not the goal of the security team should be to make itself obsolete and that's something that also exists in the devops world right uh, try to automate everything to make to automate yourself out of a job these sort of things same id for the security team and uh, the, the 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 approach to achieving this is essentially 
to again build the security test into the continuous integration continuous deployment pipelines but also to educate the developers to make sure that they have a good enough level of understanding of security issues that they can read those tests improve them on their own if needed um, and mature that um, corpus of tests the, the security baseline of the organization over time uh, years and years ago when when I was uh, starting kind of as a security team on the cloud services side of Mozilla, we had uh, a small checklist with maybe five or 10 items on there of things we wanted to see. Um, when I left Mozilla last year, we had probably 60, 70 items on that list. And over time, we grew. We removed some, but we added some. And that's the maturity process, right? We're trying to get to a better place over time. But also, what the other thing we did is through continuous security, we had tests that every time we deployed a new service or project, uh, verified that the baseline was there, that we had um, these basic security controls in place in place at all times. And we had baked them directly into the standard uh, deployment tools, the standard application frameworks, such that someone comes in, creates a new project, they have the, everything secure by default. They are, they are at the baseline without even doing anything. So this kind of multifaceted approach of one, teaching and growing the engineering corpus, two is having this set of security checklists with good controls in place and then testing it continuously and maturing over time is this, you know, the old Deming, you know, continuous sure. improvement loop, but applied to security. Excellent. Excellent. Well, hey, I, I, I've enjoyed the conversation um, and I encourage everybody to get a copy of your book. It's available with Manning Publications. I'm actually going to put um, a link to your book and uh, some coupons, discount coupons in the uh, description for both the podcast and the video. Um, I do have one final question for you, though. It has nothing at all to do with uh, with DevOps. <laughs> this is the first time we've actually recorded the uh the Secure Talk podcast, and uh, I, I mean, excuse me, used video, recorded video on it, and um, you have a, you have a great setup. I'm over here with headphones. I got a, a sheet behind me here, <laughs> and you look like you do this every day. So, what's tell me about your setup? What do you got going on over there? Sure, sure. Uh, well, I, I I do do this every day because I'm because I've been working <laughs> remotely for seven years, and uh, so I I ended up. Getting myself so this is a a Sony camera with uh, one of those little USB HDMI capture uh, card that, okay. that acts as a webcam, um, and it has great video quality and and that means in the morning I have to make sure that you know I am properly dressed because <laughs> people can see every single. <laughs> it's good to have that motivation, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and um, and I, I am a, a big 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 proponent of good audio quality i think the quality the audio quality really really impacts uh communication yes uh and i i tell my team all the time make sure you get yourself a really good microphone so this is a shotgun microphone it's a daily microphone and i have a little a mixing table to to input it and um i got this a couple of years ago and I, I i think it's really helped the fluidity of, of conversations while being remote. And, and well, the thing is, is you, and you're not using any headphones or anything, you don't get any feedback through the shotgun microphone because I mean, you can hear what I'm saying and it's, it seems to be, um, mm -hmm. because it's shotgun, I guess it's just focused on your voice or, or your direction there, yeah? 
there is that, but also um, in recent years, like video conferencing software has really improved and the eco cancellation and all that stuff is, is really, really good. Uh, so I've never had any issue here. And I have, I have speakers on the side of my desk. Um, I can't stand wearing headphones all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking yeah. at, how does this guy doing it, man? <laughs> no, so I, I'm definitely going to up, up my game um, but uh, over the coming episodes. This is a, a, I appreciate you uh, uh, being the, the guinea pig here or the, uh, for, the, for the first uh, video recording. But uh, hey, Julian, I, I really, uh, I mean, you're obviously a very smart guy. Um, your book is incredibly well written. Uh, and uh, I, I would like to at some point have you back on the, the show, um, but we're gonna we're gonna get uh, you know get your your books information like I said in the description and uh, yeah I wish you the best in uh, 2021. Thank you, thank you so much, Mark, and yeah, happy to be back anytime. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.